0: It's Monday. It's David Shapiro. So it's Shapiro World. David Shapiro is from Sassan Securities in Johannesburg. And he's going to look through the market that's gone on today and over the previous few days in his own inimitable fashion. Uh, David, I want to talk about Eskom quickly. So you're obviously online and nobody I've spoken to today has said that there has been any load shedding and there's a conspiracy Mm -hmm. theory going around. I heard about it last week. Uh, It's been in the newspapers this weekend. Can you clear up what it is first of all and whether you give any credence to the claims?
1: We, we don't really know. What, what's interesting is last week we were in panic situation, phase four cuts, load shedding uh, every couple of hours, and, and this week nothing. And uh, over, the newspa- over the weekend, as you mentioned in the newspapers, uh, there was a belief that this is all done to discredit Ramaphosa's plan to break up Eskom into three different businesses. So, uh, we, we're just sitting here trying to work out what this all means and who these forces are. You know, Lindsay, it was very interesting that um, in Parliament, Dean Hazen, who is the chief whip of the DA, um, made a speech last week in which he said, you know, he was attacking Cyril Ramaphosa's State of the Nation address. And in it, he said, you know, you've said, watch the space. He says, uh, and he said to Cyril Ramaphosa, he says, don't watch the space, watch your back, because it's your own party that is sabotaging your efforts not not the opposition but within your own party suggesting that it's cassata the various trade unions and very uh, various other interested parties that were creating all the problems and there might be an element of truth no one really knows what this all means whatever it is we still owe 650 billion whatever you know or 450 billion i can't remember the number now that eskimos they're still short in terms of revenue the economy is still not growing we're not going to get rid of that. Of course, um, a load shedding would have only only added to South Africa's woes. Well. So I don't think it removes the problem. It just removes the, you know, the, the infighting within within an ANC government which uh, no one knows, you know, what their policies are, where they want to head.
0: I do think, I mean, I don't know anything about running running a power utility, <laughs> but if you watch The Simpsons, you'll see Homer Simpson sitting in the Springfield uh, nuclear plant owned by the famous Montgomery Burns, and he's there on his own. He could just press the wrong button, and the, the thing could go off. I don't know that the, it, just a couple of agitators could really bring down the national grid. Maybe there are more than one, agi- there, more than a few agitators, and maybe they was a concerted effort you never
1: know well it seems like that you know it seems that there could be parties within Eskom that said well if you want to break it up we're going to show you you know this could be people fiddling around or creating problems there's no, there's absolutely no you know no reason why that can't happen so you're right you know i love mr burns uh, he always reminds me of wilbur ross Wilbur Ross reminds me of him. You know, Secretary of the Treasury, and uh, what's it, Commerce Secretary in the US? does look a bit like so, him, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, acts like him as well. a uh, uh, little man. <laughs> anyway, let's move on from The Simpsons now to
0: um, a set of results that came out this morning. And I want to use this also as a tutorial, mm. not a tutorial on the results, but on the terminology used in the results. The company mm. concerned is Anglo-American Platinum, I and mean, it says it Probably. announces another strong financial and operational performance. So if we could combine cursory analysis mm. of the numbers along with a bit of yeah. a tutorial, if, if we can. It says continued industry leading return. To shareholders, generating 55% total shareholder return.
1: What does that mean? Uh, total shareholder return must be on the equity capital. In other words, on the equity part of the uh, the balance sheet. So, in other words, their their profits as a percentage of of equity would have been that kind of amount in a shareholder return. Alternatively, it could be you know i i'm just I'm not quite sure of the phraseology. alternatively it could be that the share price was up by that amount over the year you know that could be more likely a more likely number because they don't normally shareholder returns or or uh, the return on on the capital that they employ or on equity yeah. uh, would be a much lower level so i th- I think what they might be referring to there is that the you know the the gain in the price over the last year? Because it was by far the best performing share on the JSC over the last year. So if I look on a 12-month point of view, in fact Anglo American over the last year, strange enough, the share price is up from where we talk today. You know, remember there was that drop in in in, in February, up 103%. So it gives you an idea of the gains that we've seen in the share price. Mm. So um, just, uh, I hope I've given the right explanation on that one.
0: Yeah, I think you have. But yeah. I
1: think the share price was, was higher, but normally one measures the effectiveness or the efficacy of a, you know, of a company on, on, on capital. In other words, what capital do they employ? In other words, a mixture of loans – Mm. And of shareholder of of uh, shareholder equity in order to to make the profits that they did, that's how you measure the uh, the efficacy of of management
0: well let's go straight on to capital employed then because return on capital mm. employed or ROCE increased to twenty four percent Again, briefly explain yes. that. what does that mean
1: Well you see what they use is they, they use capital employed would be equity capital. In other words, that's that's uh, share capital plus reserves, and it also includes long-term debt. In other words, money that you have borrowed for the purpose of of earning, you know, of 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 earning profits. Not short-term debt, which is creditors, and you know, you which you which you use to uh, purchase goods and so on. That's short-term capital, or or people that you owe you know, for for um, fixing the lorries and so on. So capital employed would be. Uh, long-term capital, but they also use EBIT, in other words, earnings before interest and in tax. So they use the operating profit, not the uh, profit after tax, not the bottom line they use what's called EBIT or EBITDA in order to calculate that. So Move, that's what they mean by return on capital.
0: Moving on to EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, tax, uh, yes. d- depreciation, amortization. it Achieved a growth of 21% to $14.5 billion. Now, I know that someone yep. like Warren Buffett would say, why on earth do you want to, why, what is EBITDA? Uh, it, exactly it, it, right. <laughs> why why exactly on earth right. do you use this measure? Can you explain that whole uh, scenario exactly. as well?
1: You're dead right. I, I, I'm also not. A a great EBITDA person. What they try and do is they try and look in the operational, the operating part of the company. But where Buffett is right, so EBITDA, as you correctly mentioned, was earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. Now, for me, interest is very much part of the operating part of a business. And also depreciation is a right of previously invested capital in other words you buy a machine and you write it off so down the line you're actually going to have to find that kind of money to replace the machine so i'm i hope i'm not getting too complicated but in a way i agree with buffett or charlie Munger's view of EBITDA, that it's not a correct measure. In other words, you're excluding a lot of expenses, which are real expenses of a business. Maybe tax uh, could be different because the rates are different, but I mean, certainly interest and uh, depreciation, in my view, are, are very important expenses in which to consider.
0: Now here's something as well that is always, the, usually anyway, one of the first two items in the key features of a stock exchange, new service announcement of a company's results. Headline earnings per share increased by 95% to 28.93 mm. per share. And once you've explained that, then you can give me the distinction between headline earnings per share and basic earnings per share. So headline earnings per share first, <sighs> please. Yeah.
1: Well, the headline earnings, what you do is you exclude one-off items which I disagree with as well. In other words, it's trying to give you the sustainable profit of a company, uh, whereas basic earnings would be affected by sometimes one-off events. In other words, if they sold a mine and made a loss on it, it's a one-off event. That would come into the basic earnings side, or um, if there were—I'm trying to think of other issues like that. If the dam burst or something like this, and they had to—they <laughs> had to do something of an exceptional nature—that would not form part of headline earnings. But, but in many cases, once more, these kind of expenses are very much part, you know, of ongoing issues that a company faces. So, in America, there are no such uh, descriptions in that. It's very much a South African type. Definition And it tells you absolutely nothing because you can manipulate this to whatever number you want. So, um, yeah, that's what headline earnings means. It's trying to determine the sustainable profits that came out of the operations, you know, you you know what I mean, without being affected by one off uh, events.
0: Okay, and finally, it's not a
1: it's not a good, you know, if people don't understand it, I understand what they're saying. It's not a good measure. Uh, understand, understand the business and some of those issues that you know, because in a mine, many of the uh, one-off issues are actually happen every year.
0: Here's one, here's one free cash flow from operations increased by 60% mm. to 5.6 billion. I yeah. distinctly remember when Srinivasan then Katakrishnan, became the yeah. CEO of Anglo Gold Ashanti, having been CFO before. When I used to interview him, one of the first things he would say, if it had been a good quarter or a good half year, whatever it was, he would say, We've generated more free cash flow. And he, he, he set great store by this measure. What is it?
1: Well, you see what happens that that ignores non-cash items that you might be putting through the balance sheet. So this shows you, this is the cash book, the cash that came in and the cash went out and what's left. But um, it's a very important measure of how businesses are doing. But once more, it can be distorted by not spending, you know, by not spending on capital items and not spending on, on other items. How you measure the real success of a business is is uh, you look at the cash flow and you look at what's left in the cash flow. but this is this is what's left in the cash flow after paying out dividends and also after setting aside money and or real money to actually invest in the sustainability of a company. In other words, that's how you'll measure a good company. what you know companies have to keep reinvesting in their own operations. And what you look for in cash flow is what did they reinvest, you know, to keep the business going on the long term. So I'm saying free cash flow can sometimes be misleading because it doesn't necessarily include those, those items. And there are various definitions of what free cash flow is. But that's, that's how you look at it. You know, that's how you would look at a, a business. What, what cash did they generate? What did they pay in dividends? What was left to reinvest in the business? What did they reinvest in business, and what cash have they got left after that? Okay,
0: know? so that's the free so, cash. Sorry, I,
1: I have. Yeah,
0: no, well, good. yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. Anyway, let's uh, the results themselves. We expect this series of strategic actions. This is in the summary statement, which you always taught me to read first. We expect this mm. series of strategic actions to increase cash flows and returns and reinforce the sustainability of the company for the benefit of all our stakeholders. Mm. Lest we forget, David Shapiro, this share was just below 70 rand a share, not that mm. long ago. And it's now, mm. what is it now,
1: 700? Yeah, it's uh, Angloplast are 702, yeah. So
0: it's been a 10-bagger. Right. It's
1: incredible. It, it has been. But what you have to understand, and this is where we go wrong on the radio, in the media. What do we do? We quote the platinum price. Yeah. Now let me let me give you some numbers as well.
0: PGM, you're gonna, gonna tell me about the basket, aren't you? You're gonna tell me about yeah. the basket. See
1: which, the but hmm. what's interesting about the basket that we don't understand? So platinum price is actually in a bear market. In 2014, it was 1306, it's now eight seventy-one. But that made up thirty-nine percent of the basket. Okay, so in other words, they were only earning thirty-nine percent. Palladium went from 2014 from 803 to 1029 that makes up 30% of the basket. Now that we've forgotten because last year it was last year. It's gone up almost 30, 40% in the last year, maybe even more. We've forgotten about palladium. That's where they made the money and that's how they were able to turn it around. Secondly, If you look at rhodium, which is 12.5%, that's gone from 1,150 to 2,200. So they've made their money on palladium and rhodium, which made up like almost 42%, 43% of the basket, as opposed to platinum, which only made up 39%. So big gains were made there. And of course, we've also had a rand, which over the last few years has been a bit wonky, helping them as well. And then thirdly, great management. They got rid of... Of, you know, Chris Griffiths got rid of all the non operations that were causing them losses, took some very vast action, sold off what they didn't need, and have just stuck with the, the better mines, low cost mines, particularly the open pit mines. So, you know, good management and credit not only to Chris Griffiths, but also to Mark Cuddefarney as well.
0: Yes. Yes, Mark Cudafani has um, been—he's been quietly going about his Mm. business and quietly, Mm. yeah—and he's he's done well for the the parent parent company and all its associates as well. Impala Platinum, while we're with Platinum. um, has come out with its second recent trading statement. This is a further trading statement for the six months ended December. Before it said the basic earnings per share for the period would be 292 cents per share. And the JSE requires you to give a range within within two numbers. It's going to be either this or that. They didn't have that information at their fingertips at the time. Now they have. So instead of 292 cents per share, they're saying that it's going to be between, where is it? Three hundred eight and three hundred twelve cents per
1: share. So yeah, it just gets yeah. better. Yeah, and, and for the very same reason, Impala are still undergoing quite extensive moves, you know, to to streamline their operation. But they've also been helped dramatically by by the swings in the PGM basket. So, you know, it's no longer uh, useful for us just to quote the platinum price. We have to understand, you know, what the mines are are earning from these other metals as well, which are in really in very, very positive territory. So I think that's the answer. That gives the explanation as to why we're able to, uh, you know, why they're able to produce these kind of numbers. And look what But these, you know, when yeah. you look at a mine, I think again what you have to look at is is what they're reinvesting uh to ensure future platinum production. And 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 that's the answer to the sustainability of these businesses. You know, how long the operations in fact for for Anglos, I think there are two mines. I know Amanda Bilt and Magalawena, I think it is. Those are the two major operations as well. And you've got to work out what the sustainable life of those are. In many cases, they are, you know, mines are not that long life. These are not 30, 40 years. I don't know these two in particular, but that's how you look at a mine in terms of where they're going to be and, you know, what the sustainability of these mines are. Okay. (laughs) it's 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 a complex. It's a complex. It, it, it's a very complex investment area, mining, because it's depreciating. Once you draw the platinum out, you never replace it. So you've got to keep looking, like oil. It's a it's a very similar situation. So you've got to look at how long these, you know, how long the mine, how long the li- what the life story of the mines are, and how long they're going to last, and how long you can mine at these kind of levels, etc., in order to to work out the valuations of the operations.
0: David, as we speak with half an hour to go till the JSC closes... Impala Platinum up just over 4%, doing very well mm. indeed. The other big movers to the upside, Sibanye, Goldfields, Resilience, and CML. And on the downside, mm. Telcom, Old Mutual, Break, Pioneer Foods, and BidCorp. So the resources stock's going well again. And I've looked at resources chart. I mean, I know you look yeah. at a chart. Yeah.
1: It's been doing so well, and it looks as though it can go further. Absolutely. You know, there's there's a lot of. Upward momentum. I'm not the greatest bull on on commodities simply because they are so difficult to understand and so volatile. But there seems to be a lot of momentum behind uh, behind commodities. That's also because of management like Griffiths and. Kutafani have fine-tuned uh, operations and uh, now starting to generate cash. We also had the stimulus coming out of China this morning, allowing credit, whether that's going to translate into more purchases of raw materials or whether it's going to be consumer goods, we don't know. But I mean, there is a, there's a little bit of an upward momentum drive in global markets. Equities are starting to move. And I think all of this just, just seems to be favouring commodities which have gone through a very, very torrid time over the last few years. So thank goodness for that because that's the big driver on the JSE. It's not the local economy. It's mainly been the miners that have given us uh, the gains that we've had this year.
0: The overseas markets now, some trade talk, optimism between China and the United States propelled mm-hmm. the U.S. market to a really, really good end-of-the-week close. I mean, I'm looking at the S&P now. S&P futures are 27. It comes,
1: eh? Yeah, yeah, because of yeah. the
0: President's Day holiday. Yeah, Britain, but the, yeah. Fu- the futures are open. It's twenty-seven seventy-six. Mm. That was 24.36, 24.37 yeah, sure. at one point. Mm. A three hundred point move in almost record time mm. for the S and P. Mm. And one thing you never usually get—you don't. We were talking about charts you very rarely get a V-shaped recovery. In other words, Mm -hmm. you get a plunge in the price of a security Mm. or an index, which we saw in December. And it usually sort of has to consolidate and lick its wounds and then gradually come back to the old level. Mm -hmm. It's gone straight back to
1: form the V that I've been talking about. It's very, very unusual, David Shapiro. It is. You know why? Because I think that was an unusual movement around about Christmas time in 2018. No one's quite sure why the market took fright. We were pretty steady until then forming a base and suddenly the trapdoor opened. A lot had to do with worries about government shutdown. A lot had to do with the trade worries and, and the talk coming out of Trump. There was still Brexit. There were a lot of things that were weighing on investors' minds, which to a large extent have, uh, have been addressed. I still, you know, Lindsay, I'm the bull of bulls, but I still, at the back of my mind, I worry about Trump. You never know what's going to come no, out of I can't him, believe you know. it. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? When it comes to trade talks, where they can they can say progress one day, who knows where it's going to go, you know, and the same thing as we saw in declaring a national emergency and that. So at the back of my mind, uh, you know, the Chinese story, the trade talks, all of these things are always, <laughs> you know what I mean? I've always mm. got one eye on the exit door. <laughs> in other words, if I have to pull the trigger, I will. Mm.
0: David, I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to the Champions League this week. I think uh, Leon against Barcelona, Liverpool playing Bayern Munich. That's that's quite a good one because the FA Cup is is fine, and that's the reason there was no English Premier League this weekend. But it's not quite the same thing as the league is it no. these days? It used to be, but not anymore.
1: No, no, it was pretty boring stuff. Yeah, a couple of matches for this for the lesser clubs. I mean, they battle it out. It's a big it's a big day for them, but uh, they're no real big games tonight's Chelsea Man United. I'm not sure. Where that's going to end, but I must, I'm, I'm with you in that respect. Um, I think Champion League just has a, a much better feel for them. And there's great soccer there. You know, there's always great soccer. So, mm. yeah, we've got something to look forward to. Yes, we have, this David.
0: <laughs> and we'll have something to look forward to next time we speak as well. That was David Shapiro, and that was Shapiro World.